0: are going to be continuing our series um, on idolatry, and it was not intentional that we scheduled this one on Memorial Day weekend, but it kind of works anyway, so you'll see what I mean. Um, We're going to be mostly in Ephesians chapter 2 this morning, if you want to turn there. We'll be in verses 11 uh, through 22. Um, We're going to look at some other passages, too. Um I'm I'm thinking this morning we're gonna talk about our citizenship and how our true citizenship is in heaven and um even though we are here on this earth, even though we um we're, we're citizens of this country as well, or our true citizenship is in heaven. We're gonna look be looking at that this morning and some of the implications of that. As we think about citizenship, we um I, I, I think of Something I, I read about, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, he talked about when he, when he officially got his citizenship. Um, he was, he was so happy he, he, he says he literally wore an American flag, he put an American flag around his shoulders and wore it around the whole rest of the day. Um, and there's a, there's a lot that, um, I, I worked with a lady that avoided citizenship for a long time and she was, I mean, she was like, uh, she was married to an American, but just, hated the idea of waiting in line at <laughs> the immigration <laughs> office. So um and I we'd talk about that sometime and sometimes and she'd eh, whatever, like she didn't really care. But then she finally did it and I talked to her after and, and she she just she said it was hard to explain, but she was glad she finally did it and and it just, I don't know, felt different. It felt like she you know she'd moved here from Germany like years ago and um you know, she, uh, I mean, obviously she's German, but, but at the same time, like she, she was kind of this person in between countries and hadn't been in Germany for 20 years. So she only kind of felt like she belonged there, but then also, but anyway, it was just, it was neat. I, I looked up this week as I was researching this, there are six general requirements for administrative naturalization to become a citizen. Um, if you were a citizen somewhere else, there's the first is a period of continuous residence and physical presence in the United States. Uh, Second is an ability to read, write, and speak English. The third is an attachment to the principles of the U.S. Constitution. The fourth is a knowledge and understanding of U.S. history and government. Fifth is good moral character. And sixth is a favorable disposition toward the United States. I just thought that was interesting. Um, That's kind of the, the requirements to become a citizen of the country of the United States of America. But for those that are redeemed by Jesus Christ, those of us that that believe in the, the gospel that he paid the penalty for our sins and we've accepted the forgiveness, the pardon that's available to us and, and um, asked for God's forgiveness for our sin, we become not only part of the family of God, but we become citizens of heaven, as scripture says. And so I want to con- I want to contrast. I'm actually not going to spend this is not a uh, this is not an America worshiping uh, sermon, even though a lot of churches do that on Memorial Day weekend and Fourth of July and all that. Um, this is and I'm not really even going to talk about American citizenship, but just citizens of earth and citizens of heaven. And we're going to I want to contrast those two. So let's go ahead and read our read our passage this morning from Ephesians chapter two. He says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom into a holy temple in the Lord, uh, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. Our key principle in this this morning is, is that putting our hope and trust in anything other than God is idolatry and only God can bring about true peace. So as we look at at these first couple of verses, verses 11 and 12, we, we kind of see a description of what it's like to be a citizen of earth that is not a citizen of heaven. According to scripture here, we are before before we come to Christ, we are separated from Christ. We know that the thing that separates us from God is our sin. And all of us are sinners. We've we've all in some way broken God's law. And, and God, because God is perfectly just, God's justice and righteousness is perfect. He cannot look at our sin and say, well, that's okay. You were just a teenager. Or, well, that's okay. I mean, it's not that bad. You weren't as bad as this guy, so you're okay. No, God has to punish the sin. But God doesn't want to punish us. And so He made a way that He punished His only Son, Jesus, for our sin. But before we come to Christ, we are separated from Christ. It says here we are alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. You see, as we read through the Old Testament, we see that the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, the Hebrews, all of these are the same. The same people group. These, this family that God God picked out for His own, were given promises and covenants. Covenants is like a. I mean, I don't know what that is. That's like a, a solemn vow. And and some of these covenants were were conditional on you do this, I will do this. Others of these covenants. God took both sides of it and said, this is unconditional. I will make this happen. And one of those was that that God would bless the nation of Israel and that the whole all of the nations of the world would be blessed through them. His covenant with Abraham. But when we are not part of that family, we are alienated. And I don't I'm not saying when, when we're not Jewish, although there is some some interesting overlap here because there. People's some people's understanding was if you're Jewish, then you then we know God. But if, if you're not Jewish, then like you, just, you don't know God. And if you want to know God, you got to become Jewish. Well, well that has that has changed. That's not the case anymore. Um, and and we're, we're going to get to that as he, as he talks about um, breaking down the dividing wall. Jesus made it possible so that anyone can know God. Anyone can come and have their sins forgiven alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise you see for those that do not know God there's no way to participate or partake in the blessings of God's favor the, the, the Bible says that without faith it is impossible to please him one of these uh, songs that we just read talked about um, oh man I should have I should have had it with me. I should have opened it up and left my finger in it. But just talk about, um, you know, oh, it's, it's uh, the last one we sang. Rock of Ages, not the labors of my hands can fulfill Thy laws' demands. Um, and, and just the idea that there is nothing we can do. Um... All right, give me that hymnal. I'm gonna read it. Verse. It's verse. Three. Yeah, it's verse. Verse three in here. It, it really speaks to what we're talking about here. Um, he says not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy laws' demands could my zeal no respite no so if my enthusiasm for God showed no no relenting could my tears forever flow so I feel really bad about my sin all for sin could not atone thou must save and thou alone you see, without faith, it is impossible to please him without knowing Christ, without accepting that I bring nothing to the table. We have no hope. We, we have no way of experiencing God's favor, except except in the, in the general way that, you know, God causes rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. I mean, there, there are um, that sort of thing. We, we would call that common grace. But God's specific favor and blessing from the Lord, it's impossible for us to even participate in that when we don't know Christ. Alienated from the Commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. And the last one, you're having no hope and without God in the world. This is one of the one of the worst things we, you know, especially once we come to Christ and we realize the peace that comes from being forgiven. Once we um Experience God's forgiveness. You know, sometimes as a, as a, as a Christian, I wonder how the unsaved world even sleeps at night. You know, when, when the, when your day is over, and you lay your head on your pillow in those moments before you fall asleep, and you're staring at the ceiling, or getting dizzy watching the ceiling fan go around and around, and thinking about the deep questions of life, what happens after this? Like, to not know the answer to that question. I don't even know how, like, how does that not keep you up at night? I, yeah, well, you know, I, I asked a guy that one time that, that I worked with, and, uh, and, and I, his, his answer, as I'm sure I've said this before, but his answer really, always really stuck with me. He said, I don't know, man, I, I just, I try not to think about it he actively avoided thinking about that question because he had no answer to that question because when you have no hope and you are without God in the world what what is life what is the meaning of it of it all what what's the purpose why even get up and go to work why um you know what 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 can really be the motivation for much of anything and and I don't I don't say that to um to say that all unsaved people are just horrible, immoral people and never do anything beneficial to their fellow man. I'm not not saying that. But the motives behind it are not, um, I don't know, it's it's very, very different. Hard to explain, I guess. But but see, there's there's this other thing that we get to down here in, in verse 14 and 16 where he mentions hostility. And this is kind of a two-way thing. It's hostility between between man and God because of our sin. There is hostility between us and God. Uh, you know, maybe you've known you've known people, or maybe you before you came to Christ, or maybe this is you now. Are you know feel hostile toward God? How could a loving God allow this to happen? My, my kids have been watching the um, that Soul Surfer movie, and I say they've been watching because you know when kids watch a movie then they have to keep watching it. I want to watch that I mean, You just watched it. I well, want to watch it again. But they been watching the, the Soul Surfer movie, which is the one where the girl gets her arm bit off by a shark and then keeps surfing and all that stuff. Um, and the girl asks her youth pastor in that movie, she asks, and she finally breaks down, how could God let this happen? I thought he loved me. I thought he had a plan for my life. How could God let this happen? And we can have hostility toward God. How could a, you know, I look around the world, how could a loving God allow these things to happen? But then if you think of it another way, how could a just God not cause more of these things to happen? How could a just God allow sin to go unpunished? I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that that he doesn't immediately punish my sin. That he made a way for it to be forgiven. Hostility with God. Also hostility toward others. I, again, I'm not saying that unsaved people can't get along. Because obviously, unsaved people get along all the time. But, when problems arise, it is, it is difficult when you don't have a framework of forgiveness When you don't have a framework of grace and mercy that says, I have been forgiven much, I will forgive much. Hostility with God, hostility with others. I want to look here, turn your Bibles, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 31. We're going to look here at really the. This kind of gets to the idolatry of trusting in man, trusting anything other than God. Verses one through three. I mean, Isaiah chapter 30 is kind of all about all about and leading up to this. But this really sums it up. He says, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and who depend on horses. They trust in the abundance of chariots and in the large number of horsemen. They do not look to the Holy One of Israel and they do not seek the Lord. But he also is wise and brings disaster. He does not go back on what he says. He will rise up against the house of the wicked and against the allies of evildoers. And listen to this. Egyptians are men, not God. And their horses are flesh, not spirit. When the Lord raises his hand to strike, the helper will stumble and the one who is helped will fall. Both will perish together. You see, to give you a little bit of context of this writing, Assyria was marching an army into Israel. And, And God knew this and God had God had sent them. To basically rebuke his people, they were about to enter a period of exile, um, a period of chastening by the Lord. But there were, there were apparently many in Israel who felt like, okay, we are a small nation. Assyria is a powerful nation. We can't stand up to them. Let's go and ally ourselves with another world superpower, which at that time was Egypt. Egypt, if you look at the map, is the the choke, covers that choke point between the entire continent of Africa and the entire, by land, the rest of the world. Europe, Asia, all of it, the rest of the Middle East. You have to, if you're going by land, you have to go through Egypt. And so Egypt was a very wealthy nation. In case that that was a surprise to you, they they still are. And um, at this time, we're a very, very powerful world superpower. Makes sense, right? Country is attacking you. We can't stand up to them. Let's make allies with someone that probably can. Okay, logically and humanly speaking, that makes sense. However, Egypt, although a very powerful nation, had been the oppressors of the nation of Israel for about 400 years. The nation of Israel were slaves in Egypt. And it took the mighty hand of God to deliver them from the nation of Israel, the nation of Egypt. It's, it's interesting here that they, they, they looked for deliverance to the very ones that God had delivered them from. And the Bible says with a mighty hand, God himself said reminds them throughout the Old Testament, remember How with a mighty hand, I led you out of Egypt. It's 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 incredible when you when you read that story and when you think about this world superpower. Has a nation of slaves. They have no way to rescue themselves. And yet, because of God's mighty hand, they walked out one night. Where, I mean, Egypt even, like, it says that, that, I mean, people were basically paying them to leave. They, you know, just kept, you know, gave them gold and said, please go, get out of here. Incredible. Incredible salvation by the mighty hand of God from a powerful nation. And so in this situation, instead of trusting that mighty hand of God again, they were trusting the ones that the mighty hand of God had delivered them from. It's like if you're ranking world superpowers in your head, you've got in their minds, there's like, you know, them way down here and then like Assyria and then maybe hopefully Egypt right above that. But if you remember history, God's got to be above Egypt because God led them out of Egypt with a mighty hand. You would think, well, maybe, maybe we would trust the one that's even more powerful than Egypt, but they didn't remember that. They They were caught up in the, in the, the physicality of it and what they could see. They could see the army of Assyria, they could see the chariots of Egypt, and many of them chose instead to trust in the flesh. But this this passage in, in Isaiah just talks about the futility of that and how it is it is completely completely futile for them to to trust in man, to trust in horses and chariots. I want to look for a little bit about what it means to be a citizen of heaven. You see, when you're a citizen anywhere, um, there are certain there are aspects to that. There are benefits to being a citizen. You get rights and privileges. We could spend a lot of time just in those two categories. You, some of those might be you can, you can run a business Legally and, and all of that, you can you can travel freely. I'm thinking not, not just America, but I'm, I'm thinking of some of the things that Paul talked about and was able to do in the Old Testament. Paul, although Jewish, was a Roman citizen. He was born a Roman citizen and that afforded him rights and privileges. There was there was a time in Philippi where he gets arrested and they beat the snot out of him and they put him in jail. And he um, he kind of knocks on the uh, bars and says, hey, um, can you basically tell the governor or mayor to come here because um I'm a Roman citizen and he can't, he can't do this. So that almost became a, like, huge incident. And the guy was very embarrassed because he could have gotten in huge trouble for treating a Roman citizen that way. He had rights as a Roman citizen that, that were not to be violated. Um, the privileges, uh, you think of free travel. As a Roman citizen, Paul was able to, he was able to travel the Roman roads all throughout the Roman Empire freely and plant churches and preach the gospel. Um, obviously as, as as citizens of america we can we can travel around and, and uh, you know we're no fear of whatever i don't know being arrested and sent sent back somewhere uh, you know in, in you know members of uh, uh, if you're members of a country that's part of the european union you can travel freely you can get on i hear you can get on a train or a bus and travel from france through switzerland into germany like it's nothing. As, as if it were states in the U.S. Um, but if you're not a citizen of one of those countries, you gotta stop and show papers and, you know, go through customs every place. And so, you know, free travel is a thing. Um, you can reasonably expect some sort of protection. Whether that's, uh, on a local level from, from, Um, The local authorities, police or whatever, or or whether that's on a national level, you can reasonably expect that the army of this country is going to protect us from being invaded by other countries, right? Um, There's there's a system, a system of support. And regardless of how you feel about the, the welfare system or whatever, there is a whole system to support life in this country to support families, businesses, people and and help people get on their feet um there's a system of support for people you can reasonably expect justice as a as a privilege of being a a citizen somewhere there's a justice system that applies to you it is sort of a double-edged sword though in some ways there are restrictions as a citizen you can't you can't work for or fight for the enemy um you have to you must obey the laws. You are subject to that same justice. We really, really like to champion justice when we feel like we've been wronged. But then we really don't want justice so much when it might apply to us. Um, but, but we have to obey the laws. We, um, as Jesus said, must render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. In other words, pay taxes. And the country reasonably expects our loyalty that our, our loyalty would lie with the country or place that we are citizens of. I, I want us to be thinking of that as, as we as we look at what it means to be a citizen of heaven. Because for those that belong to Christ, we are citizens of heaven first. Before we are citizens of wherever, whatever country we happen to live in. You see, this passage says that we once once were far off, but we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It says we can now have peace with God and peace with others and that we are reconciled to God. I want to look at what that means because when the gospel, which makes us citizens of heaven... The gospel takes those of us that were far from God with no hope, no access to him whatsoever. Maybe even our backs turned to him. The gospel. Brings us near. It takes those of us that were enemies to God and makes us children of God. The The blood of Christ, that's what, that's what it says. We've been brought near by the blood of Christ, you see. The Bible also says that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. In other words, sin is serious enough in God's sight that he has to punish it and punish it to the extent that. Like blood has to be shed. A life has to be given. But in the gospel, the life that was given was that of Jesus Christ rather than our own that he can be our substitute, that he can he can hang on that cross where we deserve to take the punishment for our sins. And he could take the punishment. He could take that punishment for us. And through that, we've been brought near. Peace with God. Peace with God. Oh, Just think about that for a second. Think about the tension that you have to live in. All the time when you don't have peace with God, when the, the holy creator of all things has beef with you, with unresolved sin, unforgiven sin, um, how well do you sleep at night when, you know, you're not right with God? That's something that we, you know, we, we would maybe ask someone who is on their deathbed. Are you right with God? If you're about to meet him, you want to make sure that you are peace with God. Now, kind of a secondary benefit is we can have peace with others. We don't have the time to to go into it now, but Jesus tells a story about about a servant that owed his master tons of money, more than he could ever pay back in multiple lifetimes. And his master said, you know what? Forget it. Don't worry about it. I'm rich enough. It's fine. Your debt's forgiven. And then he goes and chokes out a friend of his that owes him like a hundred bucks. That's not peace with each other. And, you know, and the point of that is when you've been forgiven so much, how can you not forgive your fellow man? Like the stuff we have against each other is nothing compared to what God had against us because of our sin. And so we can have peace with others. We can show mercy and grace to others because we've been shown great mercy and grace. Um, we like to I always like to look at what the. Um, some of the great theologians before us have, have said about these things, and um, on verse 14, Charles Spurgeon wrote. Now, this is the verse that says, for he is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. He wrote the Lord Jesus is the great cause of peace between people. As soon as we become Christians, we cannot hate anybody. It is utterly inconsistent with grace in the heart. To harbor malice against others through our weakness, we may be and sometimes are quick of temper and sharp. And this we ought to regret and mourn over. But to carry in our soul any enmity against others is contrary to the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we have been forgiven so much, we must not withhold forgiveness from others. It also says here that we are reconciled with God. Reconciled with God, that, that's more more than just, OK, we're all right. No, reconciled means not just that he doesn't hold our sin against us, but but it is it is completely settled. It's completely settled. We are. We have a clean slate with God. Beyond that, we have access to the father, as he says here in verse 18 for through him. We both have access in one spirit to the father. This is a big deal because. The moment we choose to trust Christ. For his work on the cross and and, and accept the forgiveness for our sins, that moment, all of our problems in this life don't go away, do they? And so access to the father becomes really important because we still have to get through the rest of this life. And, and so we need to be able to communicate with the father. We need to be able to, to as the Bible says, cast our cares on him because he cares for us. Look here at, uh, at first Peter, chapter two. First Peter, chapter two, verses nine, nine through 12. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. A holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. Peter wrote this letter to Jewish people that had been kicked out of Rome by, I believe it was Emperor Constantine. Um, One of the best ways to score political points or, or rather to save yourself losing political points when you've made a huge mistake is to blame someone else for it. Um, And that was one of the things, I I can't remember what the event was, but he basically blamed the Jews. And so public opinion turned against the Jews and they kicked all the Jews out of Rome. And so a lot of Jewish people, even Roman citizens that had comfortably lived in the thriving metropolis of Rome were kicked out and had to go out and live in the provinces where they didn't know anybody. There wasn't a synagogue to go to. There was, in most of those places, there wasn't any kind of a church to go to. They, like, they were completely cut off from their former support system. They were exiles. And it is, it is interesting. The nation of Israel is an incredible picture of what it's like to be a Christian in this world. God called that nation when it was just one guy and his wife, Abraham and Sarah, called them out of a pagan nation and said, I am going to make you into a great nation. And he promised to give him a land and he brought him to that land and lived there sort of for a while, but like in tents, not in buildings because it was like God was going to give it to him. But it had, like there were still other people living there. And so he had to live as if he were someone who didn't belong there, even though he did belong there. Uh, but then a couple of generations later, there was a, a terrible famine and they had to take their family to, um, interesting, Egypt. That's how they got there. And so you have these people that, that have a land. They, they belong somewhere else, but they're here and they have to live there for a time. And it ended up being a long time. And, and, then, and then other times we see in Scripture where, where the, in fact, the, the passage we read in Isaiah, uh, that ends with them being carted off to Assyria. And they spent... Lots of time away from their land. And so they lived in these other countries as exiles. As sojourners, which are, you know, like people that are journeying travelers. So in here, in this in this passage, Peter is is challenging the the Christian Jews that have been kicked out of Rome to um, not forget where their true citizenship is in heaven. That's a powerful reminder for us today, because even though our true citizenship is in heaven, we still got to live here. You got to live somewhere. And so I want to look at what that looks like to be dual citizens, citizens of earth, wherever that may be, and citizens of heaven. There was this incredible tension for Israel because as they lived in different places, they, they there could easily be a tendency to say, well, I'm just going to wait this out and um, I'm going to live in a tent over here and uh, I don't really care what goes on here because I don't really belong here anyway and until I can get back to where I belong. But the prophet Jeremiah, um, who foretold that, that um, captivity, um, brought them a message from the Lord and, and God said to them, but seek. The welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. In other words, just because we belong somewhere else doesn't mean that we totally disregard where God has put us. There's the old cliche that says grow where you're planted. And, and that is that is kind of a, that's a really cliche version of that first. But but that is sort of the principle. God has put you somewhere. Be there. And, and be involved and care about the people around you. Realize they maybe don't know God. So if your neighbor doesn't know God, but you do, you have a mission. You are a missionary and your mission field is your house. Well, your neighbor's house. But you know, anyway, it's, it's, it's the, the area surrounding your house, your community. Maybe it's the people you work with. But there is this tension because even though we, we, we need to care about our neighbors, we need to care about um the 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 place where god has put us we must still remember and this is the difficulty this is the, the tension our priority is somewhere else where we really belong is somewhere else uh, and, and i want to i just want to remind us as as we wrap up uh we are not israel um that's sort of important and i'm not going to get into all of that but but a lot of what they went through is a picture of what we go through as Christians in our world today. I want to really remind us uh, the United States of America. Donald Trump, the Democrat Party. None of those are our savior. None of them. None of those are going to bring about the um, the uh, justice or the whatever whatever the hobby horse is that they're riding, none of those are our Lord and Savior. None of those are going to bring about true peace among people. And I'm not here to preach for or against any of those things. Because our citizenship is somewhere else. Our trust, as as the uh, as passage in Isaiah said, the Egyptians are man and not God. Their horses are flesh and not spirit. And, and that, even though it's talking about Egyptians and horses there, that applies to the, the things that you see here. That's that's not where your help really lies. Where your help comes from? Only Christ can save us and our neighbors, and we're His ambassadors. And you see, when when you kind of zoom out and put these things in perspective, as if you're a Christian. Watching what's happening in the news, regardless of how you feel about or which side of the political aisle you, you sit on, shouldn't keep you up at night. Because at the end of the day, I mean, we live here, but our citizenship is somewhere else. Like as a, as an American citizen, if you went and like got a winter home in, I don't know, Belize, or like, I'm just trying to think of some obscure country where it's probably really cheap to retire. Like, do do you, do you re how invested are you in the geopolitical struggles of that country beyond how it affects your summer home or your winter property? Probably not that much. And I just want to challenge us to a little bit. Think of our, our citizenship in heaven that way. At the end of the day, God's got all this under control. God Moves national leaders, nations and, and kings around like pawns on a chessboard. He is completely in control of these things. Only Christ can save us. We should seek the welfare of the city. We should care enough about our neighbors to, to be invested in that. But at the end of the day, we've got to remember our citizenship is in heaven. Putting our hope and trust in any one or anything other than God is idolatry. Only God can bring about true peace. Will you pray with me? Our God and Father, we come before you this morning and, and recognize that we often need a reality check. We need our perspective brought back into line with your word. And we need to be reminded that the the the, the daily struggles of of our country or, or this world that we live in, at the end of the day, all of those things are going away. But there are some things that last forever. The word of God and the souls of men. And God, I pray that you would give us a burden for that. Give us a burden to share your word with others. To share how others can, can know true peace. Amen. Peace with God, peace with one another. And I thank you for showing us great mercy. Help us to show the same to others. In Jesus' name. Amen.